Badger State Banner, 21 August, 1890. A farmer owning land at Red Cedar Lake claims to have seen a reptile about 40 feet long in the water, carrying off one of his hogs, which was squealing vigorously. 9 June, 1892. Red Cedar Lake near Fort Atkinson is again agitated by a monster who has lain dormant through the cold months. William Ward lost five sheep by the visit of the serpent. Their bodies were found in the mud, partly devoured. Sometimes I think I got nothing in common with the rest of the human race. Completely out of place, like a visitor from outer space. Sometimes I think it's all a big game that everybody plays but me. It's a big conspiracy, everybody in, free but me. I don't know the rules, Lord. They don't tell rules to fools, Lord. So I do the best I can, Lord. Do the best I can. Maybe some sweet day now, things will go my way now. I guess I'll have to wait till then, Lord. I guess I'll have to wait till then. Sometimes the reason. For putting up with it now, it ain't so clear to me. Ain't so dear to me. Somebody hear my plea. Sometimes I think I got nothing in common with the rest of the human race. I'm completely out of place. I like a visitor from Mars come down from the stars. My heat shield a burning and my soul pick up the scars. Come down from the moon a living in anticipation of returning to my interstellar station. Sometimes I think I got nothing in common with the rest of the human race. Adventures in a Wobbling World when Minx was ten, he became alone in the world, and having gotten little in the way of human nurture at any time in his short young life, he was stunted in growth, but fearless and dauntless and wily, and as keen as a cat to survive by any means. He never grew above four foot five inches tall, which he had obtained by age twelve. Minx was now fourteen, upon a birthday that he did not remember. Disadvantaged in a wilderness and rebuked by human society, he lived by clinging ferociously to life by teeth and nails, by tricks of wit and the facile skills of his tough, wiry body. Wary of people, whenever he encountered them, 
Frankly, he saw human beings in their ways as mostly fantastical. But when in the woods, where he was alone, he saw that world fantastically too. Animals talked to him. Trees were persons. Rocks had feelings. Some very strange things had happened to him when he was an infant, so that he believed the world was always edgy, always near to tipping off into the bazaar as if the world wobbled and dipped into horizons where utterly unlikely and irrational occurrences flooded the flat plain of our normal existence. A torrential deluge of surreal apparitions and misconceptions. All appearances affected, disturbed and distressed, wobbly and wet, vertiginous and weird, confused with garish peculiar tints and misshaped. Overshuddering and unpredictably recurring intervals until by some strong compulsive throbs the world gradually rebalanced and rose out from the flood and in time did not shudder surreally but looked all right, seemed restored, stable, and regular. This wobbling and dipping into the bazaar was not anything he could expect with any predictability, but he expected it with absolute certainty. He could not see it coming, but he knew that certainly it would come when he did not expect it or want it. Minks met P in the mire not far from the Lynch home. P was now the head of the household, his mother having died, and his father gone loopy and dependent upon him. P had recently married, and his wife was pregnant. He had come with his gun to hunt. Minx almost shot him with his own gun, thinking P a bear, until he smelled that it was not so. P, almost stumbling upon him where Minx stood in a bush, seemed surprised and said, What? My brother? What are you doing? Minx said, Brother, I am hungry. I nearly shot you for a bear. P nodded and said, Go to the lake, my brother, and sit there and wait. Reach out for it, and it will be given. P then turned and went home, and Minx took his brother's advice and went to the lake to wait there until he was fed. Now, P was not truly his brother, and no lake should feed you even if you hold out your hand to it all day long. But for Minx, what is, is true. Said is done, seen is so, thought will be. So Minx thought P his brother, until when it happened that this story ended, and he began to see things more like the rest of us do. The lake that P spoke of was outside of the mire, and on the edge of the town. 
Minks was known and seen by townspeople, but he little liked to speak to them. And though he sometimes watched them, he avoided them if they approached, so he knew the ways to circumnambulate surreptitiously the places where the people lived, and came to the far side of the lake where he could sit and hold his hand out to be fed and not be witnessed or annoyed by people. As he sat by the lake, a wooden bowl, lapped by the waves, lapped onto the shore. Minx looked inside it and saw it had nuts and berries in it. He picked it up out of the water where it bobbled and ate the berries and nuts, then put it back into the water where it bobbled and was refilled with berries and nuts. He picked these up and ate these, then put the bowl back into the water to float there, bobbling in suspense on the lapping waves. And he did this over and over again, each time taking and eating a handful of berries and nuts until he had satisfied his hunger. And at last put the bowl into the water and it drifted away to the middle of the lake and got smaller and smaller and more and more indistinct. And he could no longer distinguish it in the myriad cupping and sparkling of the surface of the lake. Then Minx went to find P and told him at his doorstep what had happened. And P looked back into his house and Minx looked past him and saw P's pregnant wife standing there, her hand on her great belly. And P said, You should have brought the bowl for your sister-in-law. And Minx felt bad, but he did not know what he should do about it. An old man sat on a chair in the room, in a dark corner, his hands on his knees, and he said, Noodle, noodle. Minx peered at him. What's he mean? asked Minx. Don't know, said P. P told Minx to take him and show him where this had all occurred. Minx took him to the lake, once again sneaking about and avoiding other human beings, until at last they were on the far shore of the lake where it had all occurred, the town to be seen across from where they stood. P. did not see it, but Minx saw a man sitting on a tree limb overhanging the lake, on the limb of an elm tree that was tipping over toward the lake where the bank had undercut it, and one very long tree grew awkwardly, stretched nearly horizontally far over the water. Almost at the end of it, the man was fishing there, where he straddled it. His line dropped into the water from the end of a cane rod. Minx said to P, I bet he took it. I'm gonna go push him in the lake. P was going to object, but Minx had snuck away, and in a little while he prowled out on the overhanging tree towards the man and pounced on him. They wrestled for a time, 
and Minx was bested and was thrown into the water. The fisherman took up his pole and a fish that chanced to catch during the altercation and went off to his family to feed it to them, P supposed. While P waded out into the lake and swam after the drop-off to retrieve Mink's body. Bringing it to shore, he found that Minx was not breathing. He took a smoky bottle out of his pocket, a hand-writ label on it, reading Odd Remedy, uncorked it, took a swig, swished it in his mouth a bit, then blew a fine spray of it all over Minx's face, whose eyes fluttered and popped open, as he sat up with an enormous breath of air and said, I'm wet. Where is he? I will kill him. I think not, said P, putting the bottle back into his pocket. Minx immediately spied in the other direction on the shore of the lake another fisherman. A fisherman whom he said was singing a teasing and insulting song about him, as he threaded a worm on a hook, singing to the effect that Minx was such a worm, and he would hook him like a worm and feed him to the fish. Minx stood up and said, I'll kill him. P shook his head and said, I think not. But Minx bent down and crept toward the offensive fisherman slowly, prowling upon him like a cat does a bird. And when he was near, Minx sprang upon the back of the fisherman, who immediately grabbed the boy by his head and flipped him high into the air and tossed him into the lake. This fisherman also found that the fish had meanwhile taken his bait in this brief struggle, and he happily pulled him up, hooked his fingers in his gills, and so carrying the fish as it fitfully died, he went off to his house, whistling as he went. He, too, would be feeding his family, thought P. P waded into the lake, then swam after he reached the drop-off to retrieve Mink's body. Bringing it to shore, he found that Mink's was not breathing. Again, he took a swig of odd remedy, swished it in his mouth a bit, blew a fine spray of it all over Mink's face, whose eyes popped open as he sat up with an enormous breath of air and said, Where is he? I will kill him. I think not, said P again. Now Mink's pointed to the lake and said, Look, look there, you must see that. And this time P saw what Minx saw when he saw it, a two-headed swan. Minx said, I'll go and kill him. I think not, said P. And he sat down and filled his pipe with tobacco, and while Minx swam out to the two-headed swan, P lit his pipe and smoked it. He smoked his pipe as Minx took hold of one of the swan's neck and began to wrestle with it. He smoked it for several minutes, after the swan dove underwater, taking Minx with him. 
He sat and smoked his pipe until the swan came back to the surface, bobbing up and shedding water, and he smoked for a time, watching the swan preen itself, two heads on its two lithe, snowy necks, nibbling its feathers to stimulate the oil glands that keep the beautiful bird clean and waterproof. He smoked until the swan, looking back at him with the dewy dark eyes of one of its heads, beat the air with its great wings, but a few times, gaining speed in a swift rising glide across the water, then lofted gracefully and flew away. P got up and, smacking his pipe upon the sole of his boot, knocked out the bitter dregs of the smoldering tobacco and crushed its embers under his heel. Then he picked up odds and ends of dead wood around him and built a fire and put stones in it, and the fire was fed by him for an hour or more and filled with stones as he fed it. Finally, he sat down and waited for the fire to die, and saw that the stones were as red-hot as iron ingots in a forge. Using his own boots for leather gloves, he picked up and threw these hot stones into the lake, and the lake began to boil, and soon it boiled all its water away, leaving all the fish and other things flipping and flopping on its empty, muddy basin. This, at least, is how Minks perceived that it must have happened, and how he told that he had been pulled underwater by the swan, and would have bested him, but that there were other monsters in the deep that ganged up against him, and how he might have beaten these too, but that a large newt swallowed him, and he had to just wait in its stomach until P could get him out. Again, Minx lay before P on shore, again not breathing. Again, P took a swig of odd remedy and blew a fine spray of it all over Minx's face, whereupon he sat up with an enormous breath of air and said, I'm hungry. P agreed that it was time that they got something for supper, knowing how much his wife ate these days and how his father would be hungry too. So P turned and led the way back into the woods away from town and away from the lake to see if he could find a deer or at least a rabbit or two. Mink said he knew a trick to attract deer, and P watched patiently as Minks ran ahead, and taking up a stick, ran about a copse of white birch, thumping them with the stick, then stood before a clutch of three trunks, growing like grass from common roots, and swept his stick back and forth across them, drumming them, stirring a rattling noise in the woods that echoed, pausing for echo to fade, and then repeating it. P stood back, 
he had not lifted his rifle. A mouse leapt out of the clutch of white birch and scurried off. Shoot! Shoot! shouted Minx. It's just your grandmother, said P. Undaunted, Minx began again to rake his stick across the three trunks, rattling the woods around him. Then out of the clutch of white birch leapt a bullfrog, and as it hopped away, Minx shouted, Shoot! Shoot! It's just your grandfather, said P. Minx was angry now and did not understand why P would not shoot the deer that he had flushed for him. He cursed him and wondered if it would not be better to leave him. But again he raked his stick vigorously across the three tree trunks, and again they resounded in the woods like a rattle. Now a rabbit leapt out of the clutch and fled, and P lifted his gun, but it was too late. Minx stared at him in disbelief. Shoot! Shoot! he shouted, and stamped his feet in frustration. But it was too late. P rested his rifle on his shoulder and grinned at Minx and said, I think that was your mother. I would have shot her, Minx said. I would have shot her anyway. P shook his head and turned to go home. Minx paused to consider, but soon followed him. He never said he would follow him, but P knew that he was following him. P found tracks soon and stalked his prey carefully. Minx held back and watched him. He admired how carefully P tracked. They were in the right place at the right time, and P soon saw the stag that he tracked in a clearing with the sun and wind behind him, and shot him cleanly through the heart. The stag slumped with its eyes closed and instantly died. His was a quiet, humane death, and P dressed the deer with reverential silence that Minx respectfully followed. P fed his wife steaks that night. His father happily ate stew, saying, Much ado, much ado. Minx sat in the doorway, his back against the door jam, gnawing a roasted haunch, neither in the house nor out. And in this manner he remained with them, neither in the home nor out of it. P's wife got him to take a bath and washed his clothes. During the day, P tended to chores and, after these, went hunting to feed his family. He asked Minx to join him, but Minx was fascinated with his pregnant wife and fond of her kindness and so generally refused and took to being somewhere unseen when P was at the time of his routine to go hunting. During the time that P was out hunting, his wife often would take a nap, and Minx found little to do. Idling, watching her sleep, soon was boring. Whittling to waste time got old, so he took to studying the old man, 
who P's wife placed out on his rocker in the porch as she took her nap. He would rock there for hours until she came back for him. He talked to himself, saying variously, Noodle, noodle, noodle do, or one a do, two a do, three a do. Sometimes sitting there rocking, he peed in his pants, so Minx began to tease him. Minx cracked walnuts, putting them under his rocker as the old man rocked, and eating them, mocked the old man's speech. Noodle? And the old man would reply, Noodle don't. Noodle don't? Mocked Minx. Noodle do, the old man said angrily. Minx laughed and said, seeing the old man had peed his pants again, Noodle do do. And the old man sometimes started to cry at such a point as this or at others where Minx could not see any reason for and would say, without no further ado. From these mildly nasty things, Minx got more cruel. He took the old man's shoes off and lit matches between his bare toes to watch him flinch and grab his foot when he got burned. The old man's mind was long gone, it seemed. But sometimes, when he did things like this, the old man would seem to come back to life and would glare at Minx, and once he said, You little shit. But for the most part, the old man was a mindless, pathetic victim for the mean boy. One day soon, while P was out hunting, P's wife gave birth. She'd gone to nap after putting the old man out of the porch, and after begging Minx to leave the poor guy alone, she told Minx she felt poorly and was going to lie down. Minx was losing the battle of what conscience he had and was preparing the old man for another game of hot foot when P's wife called for him from her bedroom. She told him she was going to have the baby and needed him to do some things. Minx fetched water and sheets and rags. She guessed he'd taken off the old man's shoes and so told him to go out and put them back on his feet and not to do that no more. Minx then crouched on his haunches and watched her. Now, he had seen live births before in the woods. He had watched a rabbit do it. He had a pet mouse for a time that did it frequently. And he came upon a doe in her labor once. The blood of that one, like the blood of this one of P's wife, did not distress him. And while it was evident that P's wife was in pain, she made no more complaint than did the doe, or the rabbit, or the mouse. But it touched Minx. Her pain touched him. He felt it with her, and he saw that she endured it for the love of the one she gave birth to. And when the child was born and drawn up, umbilical and all, 
to lie upon her naked body, to nurse upon her milk-swollen breasts. She laughed and cried and kissed it in joy, and Minx felt so happy that he cried too. He took up cleaning without her instruction and watched as she used her sewing scissors to cut the umbilical. He took the warm placenta with the severed umbilical to bury in the garden, as she told him to do. But before he buried it, he examined it and tasted it. The color of the umbilical, silvery blue, glistening like jewels with threads of scarlet entwining its ropey cord, was the most beautiful object that he had ever beheld and he would never forget it. When he came back to the house, the old man was smiling as he rocked and chanting, One a do, two a do, three a do, four. After a little bed rest, P's wife was back to her housework. Minx assisted her attentively and was even kind to the old man, or at least not mean. After nursing the baby, she gave the child to Minx to hold sometimes. But other times she gave the child to the old man to hold. The old man would coo at the baby. Noodle-doo, much-a-doo. And Minx would sulk. More than once, Minx stole the child away from him. Even though the baby may begin to cry, he would not give it back unless P's wife came and took it from him. If P's wife took the baby to bed to nap with her, Minx would go back to teasing the old man, and when he yowled or complained, she would be forced out of bed to scold Minx, and then would give the baby to the old man and not let Minx hold it as a punishment to him. This only made Minx the more jealous and spiteful toward the old man. But one day, when P's wife went to nap with the baby, the old man got out of his rocking chair, and as if he had been pretending all along to be crazy and feeble, the old man looked at Minx directly and told him that he was going to his cabin in the woods, and told Minx not to follow him, and as he left, he said, Further ado, further ado. Of course, Minx followed him. into the mire, and beyond it, into the piney woods, never looking back, but certain that Minx would follow. The old man strode with vigor and such a speedy pace that the boy had often to jog to keep up with him, 
Minx was astonished at this. This old man was not the one he had been able to trick and tease. The old man came to a stream and stopped. There was a canoe halfway in the stream, and the boy saw it, had not known it was there. And while the old man looked at him, the boy went down to the canoe and thought about stealing it. In the meantime, the old man had been pushing a dead tree on the high bank above him, pushing it so that it would fall over. It fell, and it fell down on Minks. The old man jumped up and down and danced a jig and sang in celebration of Mink's death. One a do, two a do, three a do, four, five a do, six a do, seven and more. But Minks was not dead. Bruised and bothered, but not dead. And seeing the old man grinning at him, he was wanting to attack him, but uncertain now seeing the old man's extraordinary and unexpected strength. The old man came down the slope toward him, and Minx reflexively retreated, but the old man went to the canoe and got in and said to Minx, Come on, get in. And when Minx hesitated, he said, You scared? Minx could not resist the taunt and got in the canoe, and the old man paddled it out into the middle of the river and maneuvered it to the main current to take its train deeper into the looming wilderness, into territory that Minx had never seen, so that Minx, clutching the gunwales in the bow, looked at Whitewater ahead and worried what the old man wanted to do to him. The old man began to rock the canoe, rocking it violently in order to throw Minx out of the canoe and into the swift stream and the rocky white water ahead. The whole canoe flipped over, tossing them both into the water. But the old man hung onto the canoe and swam with kicking legs to guide the canoe to shore while Minx hurtled in the stream into the rocky white water. It was luck more than skill that saved him. But Minx got close to the bank a little further down and clung breathlessly to a rock. The old man who had already righted the canoe drove it into the rock, almost striking him, got out and pulled the canoe ashore. Minx, exhausted, looked at him amazed and said, You're an old man, but... You are strong. I'm only a boy. I can't do as much as you can. The old man laughed and went into the woods alone, and the boy, not wanting to be alone, followed him as best he could. He lost the old man once and worried that he would be left alone in the woods and felt afraid of being alone. But he saw a column of smoke above the trees ahead, and coming to a clearing, found a small log cabin on a rise above it, nestled among giant white pines that made the cabin look quaintly miniature. The smoke he had seen came from its riverstone chimney built against one side of the cabin. The old man had cooked some porridge and had set two steaming bowls of it at the rough-hewn table 
He sat at the stool made of a pine tree stump and winked at Minx when he came in, who did not hesitate to sit across from him on another such stool, but eagerly took up eating from the bowl that was waiting for him. By the time they had finished eating several portions, the sun had gone down, and after stoking the fire in the Riverstone fireplace in the wall, the old man wagered Minx that he could not stay awake all night. Minx could not resist the taunt. Before midnight it was easy for him. But it troubled him that the old man sat on his stool, his head cradled in his hands, elbows on the table, looking at him and grinning. The boy was exhausted, swimming hard to save his life in a wild stream that had meant to kill him, being bruised and battered by a fallen tree and thrashed against rocks, he was sore all over and he ached to sleep. That the old man seemed so wide awake, so crazy, wicked, gay, was irritating, but not so irritating that he could be kept awake. He awoke in the morning, lifting his head from the table to see the old man still staring and grinning at him as he had before he fell asleep. He could not even remember when he had fallen asleep, and he could remember no dreams he had slept so suddenly and deeply. Minx repeated his defeated expression. You're an old man, but you are strong. I'm just a boy and I can't do as much as you can. The old man laughed and shook his head. He'd made breakfast for them while Minx had slept and put another bowl of porridge before him. After Minx had eaten and had downed a cup of coffee, the old man said to Minx that he had something for Minx to do, if he had the guts. Go and bring me two wolves. They had been my playmates when I was young. Go bring me my two wolves. Minx nodded and said he would and left straight away. After Minx was out of sight, the old man jigged in his doorway and sang, One a do, two a do, three a do, four, five a do, six a do, seven and more. Noodle do, noodle don't. What'll you do that Mama says you shouldn't? Though the boy did not know these woods, he knew the habits of the animals of the woods. And he knew where a wolf would want to live, and he called to them in their language, telling them he was coming for a friend. He found the two of them sleeping in their den in a sandstone cliff behind a grove of bushes, and they blinked at him and said they had been up all night and asked, who was he talking about anyway? Minx told them, and they said they did not know this man, but they would follow him to see. The old man was surprised to see the boy come along with two wolves skulking behind him, and the old man shut the door to them as the wolves charged at it, snarling and clawing it. The boy was bewildered, and the wolves were angry for the trick, but left to go home and sleep again. The old man came out at last and said to the boy, Those were not my playmates. He pointed in the opposite direction and said, 
Bring me two grizzly bears. Long ago, these were my playmates. And when he was gone from sight, the old man jigged in the doorway and sang, One ado, two ado, three ado, four, five ado, six ado, seven and more. Noodle do, noodle don't. If God is gonna get you, then the devil won't. So Mink set off in the direction that the old man pointed to, and though he did not know these woods, he knew the habits of bears, and he knew where a bear would want to live. And he called to them in their language, telling them he was coming for their friend. He found two bears eating blueberries in a meadow, and they reared up as he approached, but he was not afraid of them. He raised his hand as a peaceful gesture, and said he had come to take them to their old playmate. They said they did not know what he was talking about, but they would follow him to see. The old man was surprised to see the boy come along with two bears lumbering beside him, and the old man shut the door to them as the bears charged at it snarling and stood up on their hind legs and put their forepaws on the door, and the door slammed to the floor under their weight. The boy saw the man did not know these bears, and they were angry at him and were preparing to kill him. Minx spoke to them in their language and told them it was a mistake. This was not the man. The man he had spoken about was gone. Now the bears were angry at him and turned on him, and Minx got down on his hands and knees and looking sideways up at them, and they came over to him, and Minx said how sorry he was in their language. Bears are forbearing. They gave Minx the benefit of the doubt, but warned him soberly to be more respectful of others and not to play childish tricks. The old man came out of the cabin trembling and grateful to Minx. He said, I am an old man, but I am not as strong as you are. You are not a boy. You can do more than I can. Looking up at the sky, he said, Tomorrow will be good. Let's go home. Sometimes the reason for putting up with it Ain't so clear to me Ain't so dear to me Somebody hear my plea Sometimes I think I got nothing in common With the rest of the human race I'm completely out of place Like a visitor from Mars Come down from the stars My heat shield burning And my soul pick up the scars Come down from the moon Living in anticipation of returning to my interstellar station Sometimes I think I got nothing in common With the rest of the human 
rain. 